to the Andy Staples Show. It is a power hour edition. That's right, Nicole Auerbach joins us. And there, it feels like a very appropriate day, Nicole. Like this is, this is a day of lots of news coming fast and furious. And it feels like there's, there's more coming with each passing hour. And so I'm glad you're here because we have a lot to break down. I'm also glad you're here because it means I don't have to eat any mayonnaise yet. Uh, that will be when Ari joins on Friday. I'm I'm honestly a little worried about that for you. I, I know how personal this is. Like, I, I listen. I, I think it was your take that millennials didn't kill mayo; they just renamed it, made it aioli. And I, I, I gotta say, I became one of those people that then became convinced it tastes good. So. I, I do think it will be good for you to experience something that you think you don't like, but I do feel for you because I just I know how strongly you feel about this. Yeah, it's one of those gag re- gag reflex activators, and that's the problem. Is I would love if I eat this big honking spoonful of mayonnaise on Friday to love it and just be can like you put, awesome. Can you put anything on it? Oh no, no. This is a punishment, Nicole. I. I took Pittsburgh. I said Pittsburgh cannot lose, and I am being punished for that. Ari Wasserman warned me. He said, all gamblers know you don't touch Pitt with a 10-foot pole. And I said, no, no. There is no chance that Pitt loses NC State. Pitt is too legit to Pitt. And I was wrong. And I accepted I was wrong, and I apologized to the Wolfpack, and I apologized to the Panthers because, really, I shouldn't have put that evil on you. But... Now I must take my punishment, take my medicine, as it were, except it's a keeping gob of mayonnaise. I, I may have something, a little shooter or something to, uh, to wash it down, but I know we're going to make Ari jealous today because the, the good news is at the end of the football talk, we usually do a random ranking when Ari's on the show, but you said there's one we have to do. And I said, you know what? You're right. A hundred percent Right rom-com, random rankings. We were going to do a top five. You and I discussed it earlier today. The committee met, and we decided it's going to be a top ten because it was just too hard to do a top five. Ten was even hard. I'm, I'm, I feel I'm very stressed out about 11 and 10 right now. There will be some where you go, ah, because I had somebody send their top five to me. And while this particular movie wasn't on it, it reminded me of a movie that I needed to put on my top ten very difficult decision to take one off, but I'm so glad I got this on my top 10. And I know when the listeners get to that one, they're going to go, oh my God, how did I forget that one? Well, I almost forgot how to lose a guy in 10 days. It is now currently just outside of my top 10. I reserve the right to continue to change this on a daily basis. But like, I'd forgotten about that movie. How did I forget about that movie? Iconic. Well, Texas lost to TCU and all things McConaughey just... Faded from memory. Evacuated your brain. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Anyway, I'm excited for that. So clearly, no matter what happens, the rest of this pod and the rest of your pod with Ari, my pod is better. No matter what. Oh, no doubt. Yep. No question. Well, it's it's a very strong day anyway because there's so much going on. And so I, I feel like we need to get right to 
the meat of things, and that is the Power Hour. When news breaks, the Athletics' Nicole Auerbach is there. But sometimes so much news breaks that she can only spend one minute on each story. It's time for Power Hour! First story, you broke this one for us at The Athletic, and that is the NCAA Division I Council is going to vote on the one-time transfer proposal. That means if players in football, in basketball, basically all the sports that weren't allowed to do this already, if they want to transfer, they can just transfer, and they can go play immediately, and you don't have to worry about a waiver, and there won't be this NCAA watch that goes on you know, into mid-August and into September. Will they, will they let them play or won't they? There won't be any of that. You'll just transfer once, and that will be that. Yes. So what's interesting about this is there are certain benchmarks in this process. And to not get too deep in the weeds with the NCAA, but they decided in April that it was going to have to go through the normal legislative process. So this is the proposal. I got the highlights, and we can talk about the notification date and that this isn't counting or, or affecting the initial counter for football rosters or anything like that. But basically, next week, D1 Council puts it, puts it in the system, spend a couple months getting feedback, and then it comes to a vote for the entire NCAA in January. If it passes, and the expectation and the hope is that it passes, this would take effect for next fall, next academic year. So we would be talking about football transfers in January, February, that would have this apply. So there would be no need for a waiver. They would just... <laughs> They would just be immediately eligible at their next school. Thank you. Okay, we have a lot more to talk about on this. The, the notification date, I think, is a particularly in interesting concept. So we're, we will come back to that one. But we do have, like I said, fast and furious news. And, and unfortunately, this is not very good news if you've watched the Weather Channel at all today. There is a hurricane out there in the Gulf of Mexico, Hurricane Delta. And it looks like it, it's getting stronger. And it looks like it's going to hit Louisiana Friday or Saturday this could affect some football games, including LSU's game this weekend. Uh, Nicole, I know you have hurricane scheduling takes I do. even before COVID. Well, well, I have one, um, and it's consistent. It's from last year, which, if you recall, was a weird scheduling year based on the way Saturdays fell. And every team had two bye games, bye weeks. Sorry, idle weeks. That's our policy. Idle weeks, free weeks, no games. And Ralph Russo of the Associated Press, very happy yes, to use it. That and way. Dan Uthman. There are two people saying it's not a buy because you're not advancing in a tournament. Idle weeks. I thought that was such a great idea last year. It should be there every single year. And this isn't a non COVID year because you're going to have hurricanes and, you know, we've had air quality issues on the West Coast. So build in the schedule. Start week zero, make that week one. Have two buys. I'm sorry, two idle weeks every single year in case there are natural disasters. I just, to me, this is a no brainer should happen, should have happened yesterday. And I think as we're, as we're learning with postponements, life goes on, it's fine, but you need open dates to reschedule the games to. Correct. And as someone who lives in a hurricane area where we get hit every once in a while, flexibility is good when hurricanes tend to hit you. So I'm with you. I've always wondered why they wouldn't want more open dates. It, isn't it more of a player safety thing too? I mean, having a couple of, I would think, of yeah. weeks in the season I, I just, where you can do that? I just think that after this year, seeing how kind of resilient everyone was and adaptable, like it's not the end of the world to have to make up a game. 
I, I, I just think we should be more flexible about that moving forward. I mean, it, it's not like hurricane season's not going to hit every year. Like, this is always yeah. always an issue. It's not a surprise. No, I think you're right about that. And I, I think it's one of those that there are easier solutions than, than people sometimes come up with. And uh, remember, it got very complicated with Florida and LSU a few years ago. It doesn't need to be that complicated. I think you're, you're exactly right. All right, next, Big Ten on-the-field football news, which we haven't had a ton of, but I think we're going to get a lot of here in the next few weeks. Jack Cohn, the quarterback at Wisconsin, suffers a foot injury during a drop back at practice. He is out indefinitely. The Graham Mertz era is upon us, Nicole? Well, it is for now. Um, I was on Paul Chris Zoom on Monday where he talked about this. And first of all, I think it's always concerning when you find out that an injury was a no-contact injury. I think, you know, we always start cringing immediately because sometimes those are the worst. Um, but he said Graham Mertz is getting all the one reps. They're not sure. I mean, they're going to find out in the next few days when Jack Cohn goes to a specialist. If it's even possible, you know, for him to even play in the opener, we're still a few weeks away. So I think, you know, got to go all steam, all full steam ahead on Graham Mertz. I mean, this is the guy people thought it was possible that he might have earned the job last year, but the experience obviously wasn't there. Um, and, you know, I think this is a really big recruit. It was a really big recruit for Wisconsin and a pretty big deal that he's there and, and potentially going to take over here. That's right. The highest ranked quarterback recruit in Wisconsin history and obviously, Wisconsin's recruiting profile has risen quite a bit as the Badgers have been more and more successful. But this was a big deal when when Mertz, because Mertz committed early, wanted to be at Wisconsin, and he blew up on the camp circuit and then had everybody coming after him. But he still said, look, I like Paul Christ. I like Madison. I'm going there. And now we're going to get a chance to see him play. Unfortunately for Jack Cohn, it, it had to happen this way. This is... I hate when I hear about these things because it, it, usually there's something, there's either something else going on or it's just terrible luck that, that somebody stepped the wrong way or stepped in the wrong place. And I just, it, it's awful when you hear that, that somebody was basically working on air and now all of a sudden they're injured. So we'll find out what happens. But Nicole, I, I want to get back to the transfer thing because uh, I, our little bit does not give you enough time to talk about that particular thing. The, the idea of a notification date, which is something that hasn't existed before, I think is something that it is fairly important to coaches and athletic directors and will kind of alleviate, I think, some of their concerns because a lot of the concerns are coaches wanting to know how they're supposed to manage their rosters when a guy can just say, I'm leaving and I'm going to go play somewhere else. Right. So the one thing, let's, let's backtrack for a second. So as you mentioned earlier, this rule already exists for most sports. So volleyball, your soccers, they're already living in a world where those athletes can transfer one time and play right away. And, and you did a story about a year ago that I thought was hilarious because you were talking to coaches from those sports and they're all like, yeah, the world hasn't ended it's crazy. Well, also, that was earlier this year. It just feels like many, many years ago. Oh, my gosh, ago. it was, wasn't it? Um, but, yeah, no, they were they were like, you know, they've got their their basketball coaches and their football coaches coming and being like, oh, my God, how, how do you do this? Like, uh, the world is ending. And um, they're like, listen, it's not too bad. But they don't have a notification date, and now they will. They'll all be grouped under the same rule um, because the whole point here is uniformity. So – what it will do is the proposed date right now, according to multiple sources who told me it will be May 1st for fall and winter sports, 
July 1st for spring sports. So what that does is it gives the coaches and honestly the players too enough time to figure out. Okay, so you're looking at your roster. You're saying, okay, who's going to play? Who's going to get playing time? Where are there open spots that I could land to? You give a deadline of May 1st so that everybody knows. There's just you can you can you have some certainty about your roster construction. You know what you're looking for. You know what you need. Um, and and it's you know enough time to figure out where you got to enroll and what you got to do. You know from an actual school standpoint. And and I think that's fair. I mean, you the 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 obvious the nightmare scenario without a notification date is someone goes to fall camp, loses the starting job, and then immediately transfers, tries to play like a week later. And and that was never going to happen. So you were always going to have to have some sort of deadline like this. And, um, you know, May 1st was actually earlier than dates I had been hearing earlier on in the process. They were, I was here in June. Um, and I think that it makes sense to have it this way because I do think for as much as coaches are going to complain, they are getting an earlier date that they could have. Yeah, and I feel like from a football standpoint, this works because – May 1st, everybody's spring practice is over. You can evaluate how you did at spring practice. You can evaluate where you are on the depth chart. You can ask the coach a very honest question about, hey, where, where do you think I sit? And they may or may not give an honest answer, but you know, I, I think most coaches genuinely do care about their players and want them to, to be successful and happy. And you know, if you've got a situation where you've got a couple of really good players at a position and you feel like this person's not going to get much of an opportunity – they're probably going to say, go, go try to find somewhere else to play. And, you know, the, the other thing about this, they're not changing the 85 scholarship rule. They're not changing how many you can take in a given year. So it's still kind of on the coaches to make sure the players don't all decide to leave. That, that is, that's going to be on you as a coach to, to do that. And, you know, part of the thing that always bothered me about this whole transfer situation when they could do – all the stuff they could do where they could, they could block you from certain schools where they could basically run you off the team. And then to add insult to injury, you had to sit for another year. Now they added the runoff rule to get rid of that. But I mean, coaches had all of the power in this situation. Now it feels a little more equal. I agree. And, and you, you, the, the other side of the coin there is that these are also coaches who could take another job and they didn't have to sit out. And so I think that for all the complaining that is about to be done, they are going to have to understand it. And, and you've seen, there have been coaches who have approached this from a very smart perspective. And they have been like, hey, let them play. Jim Harbaugh has been a really loud proponent of this. Player-friendly coaches, right? Like that is going to matter when you're in more of a free agency setup here. Um, and I think that these are coaches that are used to having so much control like you said, they're used to being able to block people from going to certain places if they think there was tampering or just because they're in the same conference. They won't be able to do that. And by the way, the soccers and the volleyballs of the world, they can still block right now because they still have to give you your release. That will go away. So this is okay. player friendly for all athletes. And I think that that's really good. And I think you're right. This is a lot of the changes that we've seen in the last few years. And when, and when name, image, and likeness reform comes through, too, it's all about giving more power and agency to the athletes. And I think, I think those are all good things. Well, and the, the other thing is everybody who thinks this will be the wild, wild west and they're going to hate the sport now, you will not. You're going to love the transfers that come in and you're going to be mad at the transfers who leave, just like you always have. 
And the difference is now they don't have to graduate first. So it's it's not that big of a well, difference. Andy, Andy, let me give you some numbers because you know how this is basically like the, the people are saying like, why now for the transfer stuff? It's because of the waivers and the loophole from spring of 2018. And yeah. and so there's just been a lot. Of, everyone's applying for these immediate eligibility waivers now. Would you like to hear how many of them are getting granted right now? I would like to hear that. Okay. So this change started, the loophole started, you know, in that 2018, 2019 academic season. We'll call it the Tom Mars loophole. Yeah, the Tom Mars loophole. He found it and it was just, you know, mitigating circumstances, right? And, you know, and so you started to have people apply for and get them and they were very high profile players. So that led to more people applying for them. So the first year... 74% of all waivers, those immediate eligibility waivers for men's basketball and football players were granted. 74%. And that was 278 athletes. Then 2019-20, So 374 athletes got their waivers approved. And this year, so far as of October 5th, 88% of men's basketball and football players who applied for this got it. So that's 320 athletes. So Andy, if that many people are getting it, where it's like, you know, now we're getting close to 100%. What's, what's going to be the difference, right? Well, exactly. well, is it, shouldn't that, it shouldn't be a waiver. It should just be the rule. Well, exactly. And the, the thing is you get these frustrating situations. There, there was the tight end that transferred from Georgia to Illinois and got denied the waiver. Uh, you had the situation where the guy transferred from Coastal Carolina to Virginia Tech and got denied the waiver. And it's like, well, if you're going to approve 88% of these things anyway, why are you denying any of them? Exactly. And so I think that that's what, when you say why now, which a lot of people wonder, it's because the rule should be the rule and waivers should be the exception. And so when you have that many people needing to apply for waivers and then people to grant them, that's just this whole layer that doesn't need to be part of the process. So it's basically college sports getting rid of some middle management. How about that? How about the NCAA getting rid of middle management? A common sense decision. Whoa. The NCAA's VP of common sense has has joined the fray? Wow. I've always said there needed to be one of those. And there there isn't always. But no, I'm with you on this one. Because that's the part people don't understand. Most of these waivers are being granted anyway. What you're going to see is not going to be a huge change. The people who were going to transfer were probably still going to transfer. Now, I, I think, Nicole, what the fear is, is that there will be a lot more people who transfer knowing that they'll be allowed to. But what we're trying to say here is they already knew there was a really good chance they'd be allowed to, to play right away. So th- it's not like the situation is actually changing that much. And I think so that it's probably going to n- keep those numbers from going too high. It's not going to be half of every team's going to transfer. So that's one of the things the the other coaches had told me was the turnover is not going to be that great. And if it is, then there's a problem, right? Like you should be building. If it is, you need to be firing your coach. Right. Because you should be having relationships with your players to the point where you're on the same page. Like they're not feeling like a rug got pulled out from under them. They don't, that, that it is just about playing time or something where you understand and you're going to, you're going to try to help them or whatever it is. Because if it's a ton of players trying to leave and like actually affect your roster and that's a problem on you. That's on you. That's not on the players. Yeah, I mean, look, Nick Saban is very hard on his players. He he yells a lot. He he cusses sometimes. Do you know how many players would transfer from Alabama today if you said you could play immediately somewhere else? Not very many. 
Right. Because they know they know what they can get at Alabama if they stay. Oh, oh, and by the way, for people who think like Alabama is just going to stockpile transfers because of this, they still can't because they still have scholarship limits and they can only bring in 25 new scholarship right. players a year. So And they they still know they're better at recruiting than you are. Right. So you're going to have coaches who are going to leave like six or seven scholarships open and they're going to have like kind of a, a full like transfer season. But for the most part, there's just not going to be that many spots. So it's still going to be, you know, it, it could be it could be wild for a year. People test this out and then realize there aren't spots for them like we did with the transfer portal. But ultimately, it will work itself out. And and I think it just it, it's just from a fairness standpoint of coaches can move freely and they don't have to sit out. Same with players, and it just gets rid of, like, all of this bureaucracy in the middle. And it's just I, – I think it's good. I mean, we're going to hear a lot of complaints about it. But, but you know, these people, these coaches, their bosses are like, listen, this is just what you're going to have to deal with. Well, and, and let's look at this from a practical standpoint. So we'll, we'll stay in the SEC, and we'll look at Lane Kiffin. So Lane Kiffin's in a situation where he's not going to really be able to talk in person – with 2022 recruits, with class of 2022 recruits. They're, they're going to be, uh, and really class of 2021 recruits. He's not really had a chance to meet any of them. Maybe they had a junior day or two before COVID struck, but they have not had those opportunities for evaluation at Ole Miss. They were recruiting a different kind of player at Florida Atlantic. So what is he going to do? Well, if I'm him, I'm going to leave some more scholarships open in this class and hope to pull transfers because I can offer them quick playing time, especially on defense. I can say, hey, we're a program on the rise. I can say, I know what you are because I can evaluate you playing wherever you were, whether you were in the SEC or the ACC or Conference USA. I know what you're up against, so I can I have a basis for comparison for you. So yeah, I, from a practical standpoint, there will be coaches who use this to their advantage, and I'm, I'm just spitballing here, but guessing Lane Kiffin will be one of the ones who does. Uh, yeah, I think that's a safe bet. <laughs> I, yeah, he, he's, he's mentioned it once or twice. So, Well, and, and listen, that's someone who's moved jobs a lot and, and really gets that part, right? Like, I mean, I, I think that there's certainly been coaches who understand the value of transfers. I think there's others who rail against the concept but still are willing to take them. And I think that, you know, again, being a player's coach, like all the things we hear in the pros when that come into play when there is legitimate free agency, you know, we're, it's going to matter. It's going to matter how you treat your players because players talk, and if you can play right away, you want to be the most attractive option. Yeah, and, and again, if you have 20 players leaving your team, it's not the players. You need to fire your coach. <laughs> they've, they've already told you what you need to do. So it, this is, yeah, this is going to be interesting and it's not, it's, I don't think it's going to change who's good and who's not. I think that there will be some, some programs kind of on the edges of, of average to above average, you know, trying to get to above average or, or trying to get from below average to average. The ones who can take advantage of this system will be able to, to work it. And one thing I think you'll see is a lot of recruiting departments were basically turned into NFL-style scouting departments. And there's two facets to an NFL scouting department. There's the people who scout the guys in college, and then there's also the people who scout the other players in the NFL. And I think what you're going to have is these departments are going to split up like that in college where you will have the, the, the majority of the people will be recruiting and, and evaluating the guys in high school, 
but some of them will be evaluating the guys who are currently in college to see if there's a player down in the Sun Belt or in Conference USA who, if you're an SEC school, you might want to that, – that, that might be an option because that, that's the part I think you're going to get a lot of complaints on, Nicole, is the coaches at the, in the group of five level are going to say, well, they're just going to raid our best players. And, well, I'm sorry, but those players deserve an opportunity to get recruited properly. Yeah, and and ultimately that's what's happened in college basketball um, because, again, grad transfers, you know, again, you just heard the numbers. Like there's a lot of movement in, in basketball. One player might make a bigger difference. And, you know, I remember some coaches telling me, and this was like five, six years ago, that they had people who were tracking, you know, the entire first team all Sunbelt and first team, second team all CUSA and, and seeing, you know, who would be eligible to be a grad transfer and different things like that. So you wouldn't even need that. You would just be looking at who are on these teams as potential targets. Um, So, you know, either you're going to have to, as the mid-major coach, just understand that that's part of life, which it will be, or you're going to have to, you know, figure out the guys you're recruiting, right? Like figure out guys who really want to be at that school and who who want to spend their entire careers there, Um, don't want to do it as a stepping stone. I mean, like it's going to be interesting because you're going to have to do a little bit more digging on the front end or be fine being a stepping stone, right? Or, or be fine right. with that well, and, and kind of sell Guess what that. most group of five coaches want, would like to do at some point. Oh, would they like to use their job as a stepping stone? They would. To a bigger job? Oh. They would like to step up to the power five as well. Interesting. So it's the same thing. What is good for the gander is, uh, is good for the slightly younger gander too. <laughs> the slightly younger gander. I'm going to steal well, that. None of these are gooses, so they're, you know, they're, they're all ganders yeah, here. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, think, I think it'll be interesting. And the thing is, if you're, let's say you're at UCF, if you're Josh Heupel, I don't think you're going to lose a lot of people because UCF can say, look, you, you have a path to the NFL here. You don't need to go up to an SEC school or an ACC school to get to the NFL. I think it's a little bit harder if you're Chip Lindsay at Troy or somebody like that. But maybe, maybe you can get a guy at an SEC school is not starting. Well, and that's that's the argument. I remember when this was was going on before, I, I talked to a 1AA coach, uh, sorry, an FCS coach, who was complaining, oh, these guys are just recruiting off our rosters. I'm like, how many have you taken from their rosters? And he's like, well, that's not the same thing. I'm like, no, it's kind of exactly the same thing. Yep, exactly. And I, so you're going to have movement in all directions. Um, and again, it's like they can do that. Their jobs work that way. So I think it's going to be fine. It's going to take an adjustment. But you know what? Like these coaches, if they didn't block transfers and run off guys and change jobs so frequently, like maybe we don't get to this place, but we get to a place where this is common sense. It makes total sense. The public is behind it. And there are people trying to fast track this through the system and, and make it so that it's in place for next year. Well, I, I don't think the people who make those decisions at the NCAA level want to be the villains anymore. Well, they're granting all these waivers. They, exactly. They basically, they basically they're telling start, us they don't want to be the villains yeah, anymore. They, they created a loophole and then started granting all these waivers to force the issue. Yeah. No, and believe me, there, there are some people who will point that out in, in the upper reaches of, of conference management in in different conferences and they'll be happy to just have an answer and an overarching rule that covers everything. Because I think one of the things that people got upset about was you were just Frankensteining on all these different things like the stuff in 2018. So now you don't have to worry about that. There will be one rule. It will apply to everybody and just, just follow it. And 
Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Everything will be just fine. Nicole, we do have to talk about some actual on-the-field football. There is quite a bit of that coming this Saturday, some really good games. And you always do such a good job of helping us plan out how we need to spend our Saturday. Um, I probably am better at telling you what snacks to eat, but you are definitely better at telling us how to create a, a nice through line in your Saturday game watching. So let us do a little setting up your Saturday. They're playing college football again. That means you've got a lot to juggle. And we're, uh, we're gonna go to Home Depot. Yeah, buy some wallpaper, maybe get some flooring. Stuff like that, maybe bed bath and beyond, I don't know. I don't know if we'll have enough time. That's why Nicole Auerbach is here to help you set up your Saturday. Um, actually pretty nice All right, Nicole. Saturday. How should we be setting up this particular Saturday? All right, well, this weekend, I've got three options for you. So just a refresher. They're kind of roadmaps. So it's like, all right, you know what? I Maybe, I, maybe my team's not playing. Maybe I'm an Oregon fan. My team's not playing yet. I just want to figure out how I should structure my Saturday. Might as well do it around a theme. I don't care. I don't want to just see playoff teams, whatever it might be. So the first grouping, I'm going to say matchups that look even better than they did a month ago. So these are some teams that have surprised us um, and some matchups that maybe I didn't circle the same way that I circle them this weekend. Um, first of all, let's go to a fun belt. We've got Coastal Carolina and Louisiana. Now this is a game that we may lose because of the hurricane's path. It's possible. But let's just get excited about it anyway. Um, I think that, you know, obviously we knew that Billy Napier and, and Louisiana was going to be a contender in the Sun Belt. But I think Coastal Carolina is a legitimate surprise. Um, I think, you know, you know, Kansas is not a good gauge of whether or not a team is actually good. But I think the way that they've performed afterwards, they have a real quarterback. Like, this is a team that could present a challenge in the Sun Belt race. So that would be my that would be my noon time slot game, um, and then Grayson McCall from from Coastal, by the way, the Chanticleers quarterback, exactly the kind of player we were just talking about in the transfer discussion. Yes, yes, um, and you know, again, if you decide that teal is your color and you want to match your field, then you go to Coastal Carolina. And you love jet skis because you are right by Myrtle Beach. Now you're in Conway. You're not. All the way into Myrtle Beach, but you're close enough. But see, that's that's a destination that might appeal to some Power Five players who, you know, are looking for a second stop. Um, so then in the three thirty period, you've got a couple different options because there's actually going to be two really interesting games. I think um, Kansas State TCU much more interesting after the last two weeks and some surprising wins from both of those teams, and then Tennessee Georgia. And I think you know we all had pretty high expectations for Georgia. Um, which were you know, backed up last week against Auburn. But Tennessee and this O-line, which did David Ubbin, like, did he create the name? I think he did, right? The, pan the, oh, the yeah. Pancake Pantry? Absolutely. Pancake Pantry. All right. Which, by the way, is a, was a, 
a chain of gas stations in the South. Okay, even better. Or no, no, I'm sorry. Pancake Pantry's in, uh, that's the pantry. Pancake Pantry is a restaurant in Nashville. Okay, well. It's in the Hillsborough Village neighborhood of Nashville. Well, either way, David Ubbin, we are picking it up. It's taking the nation by storm. We are obsessed with Tennessee's O-line. They are legit. Um, and that's what you need against Georgia. So I am, I'm pretty excited about that game. And I don't think I would have said that about Tennessee three weeks ago. Well, and, and that's the thing. So we, we were trying to figure out was what Tennessee did at the end of last season, which was incredible considering how bad that season started. But was that improvement a function of the schedule or that were they really getting better? And I think this game will teach us, and it's not necessarily a win or lose thing. Even if they lose, but play Georgia tough, I think we can look at Tennessee and say they are really trending in the right direction. So this will be a great test for them. And if they can win this thing, they are in the thick of the SEC East race. And that's something that I think other than the Tennessee fans, I'm not sure a lot of people would have predicted. Then to to cap off the night, now listen, you're going to say, Nicole, this was already a game I had circled. And I'm going to say, listen, Miami-Clemson, I think, is going to be the toughest team toughest game that Clemson plays all year nobody really had this circled until they saw Virginia do some stuff against Clemson and then they're like "Ooh, well yeah I've seen Miami on offense I think that made things more interesting I mean when was the last time we saw Clemson have like an interesting regular season game two years it's been a while it's been a while well and, and this this almost feels like when Lamar showed up at Clemson yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely – this is the third straight game that College Game Day has had for Miami. Like, they are the hot team. And, you know, when the U is back, like, everyone pays attention. But, yeah, we have seen this offense. We have seen Derek King and Rhett Lashley. Like, this is legitimate. And it's exciting. And I think that the idea of Clemson having a team that can push them um, – and, again, like, even Virginia forced, forced Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne to play most of the game. Like, that, that's been a while – and so I, I'm excited to see that. I, I think it'll, much like what we were just talking about with Tennessee, in terms of like where that, te- that program is, are they an actual contender in their division right now? And again, the ACC doesn't have divisions, but are they contender or are they kind of in that next tier? That's what we've been wondering about Miami. And so I think how they stack up against Clemson will be really interesting because, listen, I, I know Notre Dame's been kind of out of sight, out of mind, and like they could still, you know, People are like, oh, Clemson number one, Notre Dame number two. I think Miami might end up being the second best team in the ACC this year. So to me, this game has a lot riding on it to tell us about both of the teams. I'm with you. I like your second category an awful lot, though. This is this is a, a fun roadmap to the day. Well, this is um, a very college football category, especially for uh, the SEC teams that are literally only two games two weeks into the season um, and already in this category. Desperation is thy name. So these games are going to have some urgency behind them. Um, either, well, for, for both fan bases, but maybe at different levels. Um, we've got to start with Red River. You've got Texas and Oklahoma coming in off of losses. Oklahoma coming in off of two regular back-to-back regular season losses for the first time since 1999 it's quite a quite a while ago um so this game is gonna be like like I I I don't know I mean it's just gonna be like there's just so much riding on every single snap and and this this again desperation it it's not quite the 2016 Auburn LSU game which felt going in like 
the coach of the losing team is going to get fired. No, in we're fact, not. Did Les Miles did get fired? We're not but, there, but we're, but we are. It is the end of the world for whoever loses. For the fan base of of whichever team, not for the team, they'll they'll get over it and and move on. But for the fan base of the team that loses, it will feel like the end of the world for a week, it, at least a week. Yes, and right, you're right on that. You're teetering on that edge right now. I mean, I mean, maybe there's Oklahoma fans that are already there. But, you know, you're coming off of, like, Spencer Rattler in the fourth quarter just with, with the pressure mounting. He's just he's just wilted, um, and he's gotten so tight. Like, you need to see different things out of Oklahoma. They need to remember how to tackle. Like, there's just a lot of things that you need to see out of Oklahoma. And then Texas has had just some bizarre games. I mean, they could have lost the Texas Tech game. Um you know, so so that one's gonna be that one's gonna be really fascinating. It it was the inspiration for the category, obviously. Uh, the afternoon game I've got in this slot is Arkansas Auburn. Um, coming off of the performance that they did last week, you know Auburn needs to show some life. And now all of a sudden, Arkansas is not a pushover. So, like, if you can't lose this game. You, like you need to you get. Know, you know, Gus likes to beat up on Arkansas. Well, and again, he, he hadn't forgotten 2006. I mean, it's it's going to be a little harder this year. Like after what we saw last weekend, but you need to get Bo Nix right. You need to get the offense right. You need to get the defense. Like this is, you can't mess this up if you're Auburn. So not not the same level of desperation, but just you got to win. You got to take care of business. You got to right the ship here. Uh, the the night slate. I'm going to give you two options here as well: Mississippi State, Kentucky, and Mizzou, LSU. And that one's a little bit more on the on the Mizzou side because Eli Drinkwitz is about to start 0 and 3. Well, I mean, and we kind of thought he would, and it only gets worse, unfortunately. But I, I do think LSU is going to be fine. I think LSU losing to Mississippi State was a, a combination of what happened to Derek Stingley the night before and people still being kind of shocked by it. And then you also had this offense that they clearly weren't prepared for because they blitzed it the whole time, and Arkansas showed you how to how to play it, which is Washington showed you how to play it for seven years. So I don't know why you thought you should do anything different, but – that LSU did something, but I think LSU got a little bit of the kinks worked out. Some of the young players now have some experience. And oh, by the way, they're still really good players, even though they hadn't played very much. So I think LSU is going to be fine. The Mississippi State Kentucky one's interesting because the, the team that beat LSU and the team that beat Arkansas, the big difference, I guess, was, or the team that lost Arkansas, the big difference, I guess, was Kylan Hill got hurt. And then. It was how they responded to that defense. Now you know how everybody's going to play you. Mark Stoops isn't going to do anything crazy. He's going to look at what worked and use what worked. So if you're KJ Costello, if you're the rest of the, the, the Mississippi State offense, you're going to have to figure out a way to gain yards against that zone. You're going to have to find soft spots in it. And, and this is where maybe not having as much time to learn the offense and rep the offense comes home to roost. Yeah, and and again, you know, you see what – you know, I know we we kind of use this term a lot for Clyde Edwards Lair last year, but like a safety valve. It, it's it's not meant as an insult, but that's what Kylan Hill is going to be in this offense when KJ Costello is struggling. Yeah, Kylan Hill is the angle route five yards down the field who turns it into a fifteen yard gain. And when you need to move the sticks, he's the guy who moves the sticks for you. And and he wasn't available 
for most of the game last week and just couldn't use him. Yeah, so I, I think I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be interesting. It's also obviously the Leech Air Raid going back up against where it first debuted in the SEC. Um, so our third and final category for setting up Saturday is we're going to call it, it – it's basically these are undefeated teams – despite whatever the pandemic threw at them. So these are teams that have had a number of issues in different ways. So the first one, we're going to open with Virginia Tech and North Carolina. Obviously, North Carolina's lost a couple games or a couple weeks. And Virginia Tech has basically been playing without like half its defense and its defensive coaches. Um, so they're going to get some of those guys back. But that is not an easy scenario to navigate and then to, to stay in the win column. Um, so I think, you know, that one's going to be interesting. And that game means a lot because you're talking about a North Carolina team that I think a lot of us expect to be a dark horse in this league. Right. But then you got Miami that we weren't expecting before the season. And, and now it becomes you better win these games because if you're North Carolina, you play Miami down the stretch and, and you need to be able to to have some games in hand where if that doesn't go well, you, you have some wiggle room. But this is interesting because we don't I don't think we have any idea how good or bad or, or anything Virginia Tech is. We we've seen Khalil Herbert, and I think very impressed with him, but we we don't we haven't seen him at full strength yet, really. North Carolina got limited pretty well by Boston College's defense, but that might just be that Jeff Halfley is pretty and the good. Eagles had a good plan and are pretty good. So I don't know what this means, and I, I'm excited about it. I, I think this is going to be a fun game. Yeah, I think the one thing I'm excited to see is we haven't really seen North Carolina's vertical passing game yet, um, those big plays. And Sam Howell was doing that basically right out of the gate last year as a freshman. So um, at some point, we're going we're gonna to see that you know facet of that offense as well. Um, so the afternoon slate, UTSA, BYU. Now, UTSA is playing better than I think people thought they were going to, but also BYU – I wrote a story about this. I remain in awe of the fact that they even had a schedule to play this year because they were down to one original opponent at the same site. They, they flipped their Houston game, but they had two opponents from their original schedule, built it all the way back up. Last week, added Boise State and San Diego State. I mean, it's not as exciting, exhilarating as their original schedule was, which obviously had more Power 5 opponents, but BYU looks awesome this offense looks great and they're undefeated and I think they're going to stay undefeated for a while here I'm so glad they added Boise State because I want to see something I mean and this is one where Ari and I talked about this I think if Notre Dame wasn't playing an ACC schedule if they had tried to cobble together an independent schedule we definitely have a BYU Notre Dame game too well well they were going to then and that would that would have happened um but and they they even had they had a shared open date and everything Tom Holmo told me um, but that didn't end up happening because of the ACC schedule. So that was a shame because they actually do owe them a game. But, like, Zach Wilson's awesome. Th- this could be the best BYU team in I, I enjoy this offense so much. So I am going to be watching this game no matter what during that, that, that window. Um, and then my, my, night, my, my night game to watch is – it may not be that pretty. Um, it may not be a game you need to watch Oof. in its entirety. Um, but – we just mentioned Notre Dame needed its ACC schedule. Notre Dame also hasn't played in a few weeks because they had their own outbreak to deal with. Uh, cost them the game against Wake Forest. They couldn't reschedule it for the week after, but things are trending in the right direction. They've got Florida State now. So again, I think we all want to see how Notre Dame looks after a couple weeks off, 
But Florida State is not going to provide much resistance. Well, so we're going to see Jordan Travis at quarterback for Florida State probably, and, and he emerged during the Jacksonville State game. He was, their, saved, he was their only spark. Saved them from a loss. And now I think what was interesting against Jacksonville State, because Jordan Travis has been used as a runner, almost as a, as a wildcat guy more than anything else, but he hit a couple deep balls against Jacksonville State. So can he do that against better competition? I, I'm worried because I, I've seen him play against Georgia Tech, saw him play a little bit against Miami, it did not go well. So I, I don't know what's going to happen with Florida State. They are in not good shape. So no, as someone, hopefully they can make it competitive, but I, I'm not optimistic. As someone who watched most of the Jacksonville State game, uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was basically he was the only sign of life for the first half. Um, and I think that, you know, again, I, I do think it says something about coming out of the hole and, you know, when it, it tough and embarrassing deficit well, and, and all those things. You also have like the Stetson Bennett factor of, of – is it different when you've gotten first team snaps? Right. And Stetson he, Bennett at Georgia looked pretty awesome after finally getting first team snaps at practice. Right. And Jordan Travis came in, if I'm correct, I think on the fifth series of the game. So it wasn't even like that close. Like they were clearly. Right. Tate Rodemaker started was, the game. Yeah. And he was clearly supposed to be the guy for that game. Um, so anyway, I think that one's going to be, you know, not very close, potentially not very interesting, but hey, Notre Dame still undefeated, affected by the pandemic, but powering through. So those are the roadmaps. And then other than that, I mean, just watch your favorite teams, like usual. And when there's no football on, we're gonna we're gonna give you a lot more to watch now. Yes, because it is time for the random ranking. We're gonna rank romantic comedies. This is uh, this is very exciting. This is a uh, this is quite a juicy topic i think nicole that i probably if i needed to could go 25 deep on this list well i am at 15 and like i had to stop myself can can you give us a couple of honorable mentions is is how to lose a a guy in 10 days still an honorable mention or has it jumped onto the list yeah i mean it's right now again it's just it's it's a really there's there's a lot of competition here so yeah that's an honorable mention for me um She's all that, which I think has spawned many. She's all that is terrible. No, Can I just not I, now? Not another teen movie spoof this perfectly, so I don't really need to say it. But everybody knows Rachel Lee Cook is attractive. Overalls do not suddenly okay. make her unattractive. Well, listen, that is something that happens in all of these movies. You just have to pretend that these people were somehow ugly. Okay, but no, we, didn't, we never had to pretend that Julia Roberts was ugly in any of her movies. Okay, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Um, I put Sweet Home Alabama, which I know you love, in my honorable mentions category. 27 Dress is also a great one with an iconic bar singing kind of karaoke moment. But, like, these are movies, like, if I saw them on right now, I would drop everything and watch them. But, like, they're not even top ten. That's how that's wow. how competitive this category is. Sweet Home Alabama did not make the top ten. This is going to be a fun list because we're going to have – a lot of differences. So, and look, the age difference alone, I think, is gonna is gonna help that along. They're gonna be movies that that resonated with me when I was, you know, a, a teenager, and you were you would have been in kindergarten, so it wouldn't have meant anything to you. So, all right, let's go to number ten, Nicole. What is your number ten rom com? <sighs> we're gonna fight about this one, but not in the way you think. Because I'm not going to say Love Actually is terrible. Oh, you have it higher. Love Actually is much higher on my okay. list. I love this movie. And I was going to play this 
later, because I didn't know if you were going to have it on yours, so I didn't know if we are going to have to fight about it. But we're going we're gonna to listen to Colin's trip to America from Love Actually, because it is one of my favorite subplots. But, I mean, there's so much going on. There's an all-star cast, Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman, Hugh Grant at his Hugh Grantiest, uh, Bill Nye, Colin Firth. I mean, it just it, the list goes on. But my favorite character is Colin, who in London is a complete loser. He hands out snacks while other people work. But in America, he is so much more than that. We'll come back a broken. This one's on me. So he is coming to Milwaukee. Hey, gorgeous. And he is going to a bar, an American bar. <laughs> Where he orders the Budweiser, the king of beers. What what do you call that? Uh, Bustle. Bustle. (laughs) makes me laugh. What about this? Uh, Table. Table. Oh. It's the same. It's the same. January Jones being in this. Oh my god, oh my god. So So much more life than when she was Betty Draper. Listen, this may be a bit pushy because we just met you, but why don't you come back and sleep at our place? Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, you know, it's not too much of an inconvenience. Hell no. But there's one problem. What? Well, we're not the the richest of girls, you know, so we just have a little bed and no couch. So you would have to share with all three of us. And on this cold, cold night, it's going to be crowded and sweaty and stuff. Yeah. And we can't even afford pajamas. Now remember, he has set this trip up to America to be this. And no one in England believes it. we would be naked. No, no, I think it'd be fine. Great. Oh. <laughs> I think that's going to make it more crowded. But there's one more problem. Harriet. You haven't met Harriet. That's a false one. Yeah. Don't worry, you're totally gonna like her because she is the sexy one. Really? Wow. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Great, great line read by Mel Gilbert, by the way. The sexy one. I listen. I think this is a very funny subplot as well. But and, and the soundtrack. He walks into the bar and Smooth by Rob Thomas and Santana is playing. And then, and then you've got Lifehouse. I know. As he goes home with, with the three women. He is. I, I agree. I think it's very funny, but not even in my top, like, four couples of that movie. Or, like, love stories of that movie. Oh, it's, oh no. The, the best love story is, is the kid. Well, and, or and Hugh Grant. Girl. I also love his. And then... I don't know. Yeah, the, the, the foul-mouthed. <laughs> yeah, like, I, you know, there's... I, listen, I'm with you. I originally had this movie higher. I was shamed publicly and privately and lowered it on my list. But I will tell you, I will watch this movie four different times in Good. I, I can't wait December. to fight everybody on Twitter when this Great. comes out. All right. My number 10 is Groundhog Day. Okay. Groundhog Day recognized more as just an elite all-time great comedy, but it is a romantic comedy. Bill Murray and Andy McDowell do end up together. So this makes me think of, and I know we both tweeted about this, considered Palm Springs, another time loop movie, which is excellent. I think it's going to hold up, but I did not include it because of recency bias. I just think it's... That, that, that too. I think it's going to hold up, too. And I remember when I saw the, the trailer for it, I thought, 
well, this is just a Groundhog Day knockoff, but, but two, it is so much more than that. It's great. I watched it twice in like the first two days it was out. Anyway, good choice. My number nine probably would be higher on other people's list. You've got mail. All right, so we are into the the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan. Let's Meg go, Meg Ryan. Over, I don't know. Well, how to this say is that clearly word. their best one. You think it's better than Sleepless in, Ye- in Seattle? Listen, Sleepless in Seattle, great ending, like phenomenal ending. Well, also stolen from another romantic comedy, an affair to remember. Fine, but the rest of the movie is about creeping and stalking someone across the country. I don't think that holds up that well as it did in the 90s. <laughs> it does not. There's a lot of rom-com themes that were acceptable in the 90s that are no longer acceptable. You got for nine. Nine for me is waiting to exhale. And when you learn that the Angela Bassett Bernie burns down all her husband's clothes in his car scene was completely improvised... Like, how did she not win an Oscar for that? That's a, it's just a great movie, great soundtrack. Because I think soundtracks are important in rom-coms. Oh, yeah. And this may have the best soundtrack of any rom-com. Mm, so, I, I, well, we're going to get to the one that I think has the best soundtrack soon. All right. But my, right. so my number eight is a lot of people's favorite rom-coms. I think it's a lot of guys' favorite rom-coms because it's, it, it was sort of billed as like a bro movie but also is just super sweet and it is just lovely and it makes you feel better about. Can I guess the director's name? Yes. Is it a Judd Apatow movie? It is. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, just a great overall movie. Very Ari Wasserman will be thrilled because he said that is the entire list for him. I, again, I think guys like this is like, this is why more guys need to watch more rom-coms because there are other movies that are good like this one, but it really is like, it is funny. It has a ton of great characters. It has a lot of very attractive people and a very attractive person ending up with the regular looking dude, which I think is a very appealing overall plot line. A a regular looking dude who shows you all of how regular looking he is. Yes. Right from the jump. Yes. Also rare for (laughs) rom-coms. Also, you know, the Dracula song. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of very just iconic. Listen, who, who among us, Nicole, has not wanted to create a puppet musical? It, it did inspire me. But anyway, great movie. It is, again, I think a little bit genre bending. I agree. Um, and so that is my number eight. So my number eight is Dave. And <laughs> there was a lot of Dave references lately. But Dave, for those who don't know, Kevin Klein plays a guy who impersonates the president because he happens to look exactly like the sitting president. The president, the real president dies, and they bring in Kevin Klein to essentially fake being the president so that the world doesn't know what's happened to the real president. Sigourney Weaver plays the first lady, and she and the real president apparently had a terrible relationship, but Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver fall in love. This also has the great scene where he invites his buddy, who's a CPA, to the White House to look over the nation's books, and zaniness ensues. So Dave is a great movie. The, the scene where the real president meets Kevin Klein for the first time and walks around him, it's a technical masterpiece at the time. Now they can do it you know, very easily with computers. But... Just incredible the way they did it, and it's it's a great, great movie, 
and the, the love story holds up. Okay, number seven. This is an all-time favorite, a total classic that I couldn't watch for a full year after Heath Ledger died. Oh. Ten Things I Hate About You, which is a great soundtrack, not the best. We're going to get there. Well, a lot, a lot of letters to Cleo on the soundtrack because they're actually in the movie. A lot of letters to Cleo. The, the, the You're Just Too Good to Be True scene in the stadium, one of the all-time great rom-com scenes. That's a real high school, by the way, in Seattle. The paintball date was like my dream date as a, as a teenager. Like That is what I was like. I just want to go on a date like that. Um, young Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I mean, it outfits, like the whole thing. Gabrielle Larry Union. Larry Miller as the dad was inspired casting. Oh, the, oh, the whole cast, just incredible. Total delight. Totally hey, Nicole. stands up. Yes. What's a bogey Lowenstein? How am I defining him? Just, he is. <laughs> oh, is the, favorite, oh, that is. That's oh, my yes, favorite they, line from the whole I movie. I they asked the that. The dad what just goes, a, what's a bogey Lowenstein? <laughs> well, I like when he makes her put on the pregnancy thing first. Um, but no, just an incredible, it, it holds up so well. And it's just all of those tropes of high school and just incredible. I, well, I thought we had a clip to that, but I, I, I guess I'm wrong. But the clip I was going to play is the one where, where Bianca, the, which is weird because she's, she's considered the, the object of the, of most people's affection, not her older sister, Julia Stiles. Who is cat. beautiful. Right. So there, there's a line where Bianca's walking with her friend at school, and the friend goes, you can be overwhelmed and you can be underwhelmed, but how, could, how come you can't just be whelmed? And Bianca says, well, I think you can in Europe. Oh, so, great. And then there, is, and then there was the, the, you know, I have, I love my Prada backpack. Well, what's the difference between like and love? Well, I, I like my Skechers, but I love my Prada backpack. Well, I love my Skechers. That's because you don't have a Prada backpack. Like, there's just, yeah, it's just amazing. I, that did not, see, Bianca is, we're supposed to like Bianca. I didn't like Bianca after that. So, you know, Kat's supposed to, to come with the zingers, not Bianca. But that that is also very sneakily making teenagers learn Shakespeare. Taming of the Shrew is one of the best Wait, and by, Shakespearean by, and comedies. By so the way, I, I you just called it. her Bianca's friend, but it's Gabrielle Union. That is, that is a very young Gabrielle. A very that is that is a very young Gabrielle. It was that might have Gabrielle been. It's got to be role? before Bring It On, right? It was before Bring It On. She she went through this era of like Bring playing on, yeah. in just iconic high school roles. Just well, what's crazy is you realize. I didn't realize it was Gabrielle Union because I didn't think I would think if you had Gabrielle Union, hey, in that she movie, got to go to you prom. More with okay. Her. Remember, that's, Joey Joey Donner that's, took, took that's her true. Yeah, she, she left with him. Which, by the well, way, yeah, it was she, she Joey Eat Me Donner. Great reference. Him. Like there was just some very high level, like literary and historical references in this movie. All right, so my number seven is a lot of people are going to say it's a sports movie. I argue it's a. Eh, sports movie and a very good romantic comedy, Jerry okay. Maguire. It is the movie is about the relationship between Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger. It is not about sports. Cuba Gooding Jr. tries to make it a little bit about sports. So but it's, it's really it, not. I agree that it's not about sports. It's about like life and values and priorities and treating people and all these things. I will say. Some great lines in there. I referenced them. 
we are sports writers. We should love this movie. But I do not like Renee Zellweger that much. So it just doesn't do it for me. So we won't be seeing Bridget Jones' Diary on your it's list. It's not. I have. I mean, I've seen all of those movies. Um, I like the male leads in them enough to watch them. I don't. I don't really like those. <laughs> said that those never. Those are more. For me. Those are more actual chick flicks. Um, right. But good all choice. Right. So my number six. This is when we started to get in the really good ones. Midnight in Paris. I don't think I've seen. This okay, one. it is so good, and it's Owen Wilson, Rachel McAdams, like a time travel. I, I don't know. I, it's just, I, when it first came out, I saw it in theaters by myself in the middle of the day. I was working in Boston, worked nights and weekends, had no one to go to, saw it in like a little cute little indie theater, fell in love, and have watched it like 20 times. It's just the chemistry is there. I love, you know, the era they go back to, um, you know, just the wrinkles in like the, the construct of the movie. Just a total delight. Well, I, uh, so... Rachel McAdams is a very good comic actress. She's fantastic. Oh in my god! Roles. I just and wait, the, Andy. I just realized I I forgot forget? the Notebook. It's not a comedy. There's nothing remotely there funny about funny the Notebook. There are funny moments. I'm sorry. I just want to consider Rachel McAdams in romantic movies. Can we just have a second podcast for that one? Well, maybe. I know. Okay, it's maybe, not a rom com, but, but it's a no, romantic. It's it's a well. But a see, movie. I, I was gonna, and I was that's where I was getting to because people assume Rachel McAdams from The Notebook. She's got the romantic part now, but I, I think she's a very good comic actress, and and you saw that in Mean Girls, and you saw that in the Eurovision movie with Will Ferrell. So I get I got to see this one because I I think that would be a fun a fun movie. But my number six is probably a lot higher on everybody else's list. It's just one of those that when it came out, I was not the right age to truly appreciate it. So it does it. I watched it at an age when it was hitting me wrong. And I think that that jaded me to it, but that is when Harry met Sally. I'll have what she's having. Iconic. So this is, this is probably the, the most iconic scene ever. This in is my number one movie. Well, spoilers, Nicole. I did, like, I, how else am I supposed to react? I think you ranked it low. I think you ranked it low. Well, like I said, I think it was because of, of the age I was when it came out. You know, it's one of those my parents rented the movie and, and I ended up seeing I think, it. I think my parents just, were like, you should watch this movie at the right age. Like, I fell in love with it from the start. So I watched it at the right age. Yeah, so I was. Uh, that's why I, I've got it too low for most people, and I had a feeling that was going to happen, but that's okay. All right, what is your number, number five? Number five is Five Hundred Days of Summer, which is not a love story, which they tell you, but I just think <laughs> it, it does have a happy ending, though, especially if you like Friday Night that's Lights. That's true. This is true. It pains me we live in a world where nobody's heard of spearmen. I've never heard of them. I put them on the mix to measure. They're truck one. The Zoe Dashiell sigh after she realizes, oh, I've messed up now. (laughs) Like, I think that they are both adorable. I think that it is a realistic, like one person was more in it than the other person. It didn't work story. I love the way it was constructed, the way it was shot. This this is the best soundtrack of any rom com. If only for the, the for sweet disposition by the temper trap. 
Well, and Regina Spector, when they do the expectation versus reality at the dinner party, kills me every time. So I know it's not a happy ending, although I think it's the right ending. And I just think like the idea, the date where they're like going around Ikea and pretending it's their house and then, you know. The second trip to Ikea is a a painful scene to watch. But no, I. The the breakup itself is painful, but it's like this is a real movie. And I just thought that it was great. I I think the performances are great. They're unlikable at times. But I think they're unlikable for a lot of the time. And that's why it didn't wind up on my list is both of them become very. And I realize Uh, soundtrack. I realize that's that's an extremely realistic look at relationships that, that there are times when both people are the jerk. But. I don't know. I, I want happy endings in my rom-com. And I realize it's a happy ending, but it took a lot of sad to get to the happy. So I, I need a little more happy in my rom-com. Number five for me, The Princess Bride. Okay. Buttercup, Wesley, Fezzik. You can't beat it. I've only seen it like I've only seen it like once. Oh, it was not in the rotation. That's one of those that I, I've seen a bunch and ever since I met my wife, saw it a lot more because it is one of her favorite movies from childhood. And it is a great love story. It, it, it truly is. So, as you wish, let's go to, go to number four for you. Okay, number four. This is of our new modern era of modern rom-coms. My next two are. But this one in particular, I think everyone that saw it immediately thought instant classic. It belongs in the rom-com vault of all time. All-star cast, hilarious. The David Lindhagen, David Lindhagen, David Lindhagen moment. All-timer, always makes me laugh. Crazy, stupid love. I love it. Also, did you say bang? That is a great movie. Josh Groban is abs in look it. Photoshopped. It's just, it's, and, oh, and, and a, a nice twist at the end. Great I, twist. I'm feeling a little bad not, that this is on my list. That, that is a really good movie. I, Thank you. Ryan Top Gosling five. and Emma Stone are fantastic. Steve Carell is great. No, that that is a that is a very good movie. Do people say bang? <laughs> that they do. So next, number four for me, and I'm I'm shocked. This is the first time a movie starring this person has appeared on either one of our lists. And I consider this person probably the rom com OG. Like She's, she is the queen of rom-coms. Julia Roberts. Correct. Pretty woman. And, and I, Strong choice. Now, I like My Best Friend's Wedding. I do too. I think that's, a, that's an honorable mention. I think The Runaway Bride has a little honorable mention potential. Maybe not quite. But Pretty Woman kicked all this off. Pretty Woman is, is oh, by the way, also a great soundtrack. Okay, I like this choice. I went with a different Julia Roberts movie in my top two. So we'll get there. Um, I'm with you on My Best Friend's Wedding. Totally enjoyable. Watch it all the time. Um, not it, It's not top 10 quality. It's, it's a good rom-com made better by not, the fact that Julia Roberts is in it. Um, and that they're sports writers. And apparently, like, that's a, a career that it's worth having your wife quit her job and travel around with you. I was a little surprised by... Speaking of, of writing... So- I don't want to give a, don't give it away. I guess if, if it's higher on your list than this, neither of us have used never been kissed. I can't watch never been kissed. And my wife watched it the other night. I can't watch it 
because Drew Barrymore plays a copy editor at the Chicago Sun-Times who has an office and an assistant. Do you know what a newspaper copy editor gets? They get a, corner. a keyboard that has like a bunch of dust in it and a cubicle. Also, can we just talk about some, there's some serious ethical issues with so, the whole, so I, I can't, I can't. I, I'm with you. That's not on my list. Yeah. Not on my list. Nine, number three. This is also about to get in the rotation as the weather gets colder. The holiday. I love this movie. Real. I don't know. It came into my life late. Like it was not when it came out. It was just a couple years ago. One of my best friends is obsessed with it. And Jude Law and Cameron Diaz, great love story. Jack Black, who I don't normally like, very funny. But really the love story is the old man neighbor. And the line... I don't think I've... I haven't seen this one, Nicole. And, and I'm looking at the poster right now. And I got to say, what was that other... What was that Jude Law, Natalie Portman movie that was very much the opposite of a rom-com? The poster looks like the, the mirror, in, like the inverse of that. Well, this is just... I'm not... Then I don't want to spoil it about the old man neighbor. But that's really the second love story. And there's this great line about how you should be the leading lady in your own life. You should not be the supporting actress, the best friend. And it's just just lovely. Anyway, you should watch that. But does this movie pass the Bechdel test? So actually, they're not in a lot of scenes together. Okay. Like they, they, they switch houses. None of these movies lives. pass the Bechdel test, by the way. No. None of them. But um, anyway, that one is a great, it's a holiday season movie. So it's about to get, get into the rotation. Highly recommend. All right. So for me, number three, 10 things I hate about you. I love that movie. I watched it about two weeks ago. It was one of those deals where, you know, if, uh, so my wife and I be watching a show together. And if one of us falls asleep, the other one is, is supposed to be responsible enough to, to press stop and watch something else. Uh, I was that person. I was that responsible person the other day. And so I pressed pause and was like, huh, I wonder what's on Disney Plus right now. Ten things I hate about you. I did a double header. This is not on my list. I, I saw a lot of people were tweeting at us that it is on their list. But I did a clueless ten things I hate about you double header about two months ago. Highly recommend. A great Saturday. Great Saturday. Another, another literary adaptation. Yes, Clueless I think those, is Emma. I watched. They they hold up. I did watch really one do. of the Emmas. I can't. I can't. It was the newer the newer Emma, the yeah, other day. It was. It was okay. Yeah, I'd rather watch Clueless. Agreed. Uh, what is your number All right. two? All right, now we're in the the all time classics. My number two. This is my Julia Roberts spot. Notting Hill. She is the queen of rom coms. Hugh Grant is in a ton himself, and I just. I, I can't get enough of this movie. I just, I, I love them both. I love what it says about fame and relationships. I love the idea of working not just at a bookstore, but a travel bookstore. Um, I love it. Just, I, 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 if this comes on, I will drop everything. I will watch it. I will, I will crave this movie. Like, that's how much I love this movie. And that's one of those that just never hit me the right way. I, I, maybe it's a Hugh Grant thing. Maybe it's just that. I think it's the best. I think it's peak Hugh Grant. And it's, again, Julia Roberts, she's in a couple of different movies that are all-time classics. But it, this was, it came out in the point of her career where she was that star. And so it was this, like, meta statement about fame. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I love the idea. So this movie I'm about to mention, my number two, also has Hugh Grant in it. But I think I like it because he's basically spoofing his other roles. And that is Love Actually. 
Hugh Grant plays the Prime Minister of England, but in that same bubbling, bumbling, charming Hugh Grant way. Yes, and, and young women love him. Which and... makes it a joke. And then you find out he's Emma Thompson's brother, too, and that makes it even more... So. I, I, and again, I wish I had put this in my about five or six range because that's where it was originally. Um, it took me a while to appreciate that some of the love stories were about, like, it was Emma Thompson and her love for her children. That, that yeah. That's what that yes. story was. Well, because her husband's a right, jerk. Right, but, uh, you know, instead of, like, I was thinking, oh, I hate that storyline. Um, you know, even though Alan Rickman is without great. That, without that, without that storyline, one, we have Alan Rickman, Bad Harry, we also don't get Rowan Atkinson without that storyline. Right. But but I, I think that I thought it was like a story about heartbreak, but it's actually about her love for her children and, and showing up well, and being and, there and for the, them. The Bill Nye subplots about him exactly. and his producer. So, so I feel like so I feel like there's a lot of layers that you the first time you're, you're it's the romantic relationships. It's it's the ch- the kids and all these things. And then there's just so many layers and it just. Well, the heart and the heartbreaking one is the the cup the young couple that are getting married and the the best friend who's in love with Kira Knightley and by the way it can't possibly work. also a creepy storyline honestly Cre- creepy and but it's one of those things where he does not he tries to avoid no I her I I, out. Agree, I agree he tries to do the he right, to do the right thing of, but still a little a little so. creepy all right number one well, Colin Colin number one it. greatest rom com of all time was kind of like the first rom-com, kind of like really created the genre, if I'm remembering my rewatchables history correct, When Harry Met Sally. I just think it is timeless. As someone who has lived on the Upper West Side in New York, I just love where they go and where they walk and what they do. Um, their best friends are perfect. I mean, the whole movie, start to finish, what it says about- Can, can, can I throw another reason why it's not on my list out there? Why? Because Meg Ryan doesn't end up with Billy Crystal in real life. That that that's one of those. It's not just romantic comedies. It's it's sitcom tropes where this is a lady the guy would have no shot with in real life, no shot whatsoever. I don't buy that, but I do think this is the the big older star, and they put the younger younger actress in there with it. That part kind of creeps me out. I got to be honest with you. Mm. I still love it, and I think that it actually asked and prompted a lot of very interesting and still timely conversations about men and women as friends and about relationships and, like, just the the closeness. Like, I love when they're on the phone together and they're watching the same movie and they're hanging. You know, like, there's just a lot of – just a lot of moments that are just, I I think of – like, I think really define the genre entirely. So – this is the part in these random rankings, and I like to explain this every once in a while. There's a difference between favorite and best. Well, when that I is random... favorite. That mine is favorite and best. That right, was the right. best rom com. When, when I do when I do the random rankings, I'm doing my favorite. I'm not necessarily doing the best. Like I'm not necessarily picking Godfather Two at number one because maybe it didn't hit me the same way as this one did. So this is my favorite rom-com. I do not think this is the technically best rom-com, but it is my favorite, and it is the one that I will watch if it, if it comes on, and that is Sweet Home Alabama. Wow. Okay. So yes. th- that's the movie that prompted the entire rankings. I think, I think Reese Witherspoon 
is better than Julia Roberts. Whoa, wow. Like Legally Blonde, another one of my honorable mentions. I, I just think she she had a run there in, in the late 90s, early 2000s where she just, she had, because she has great comic timing, but she's also a great dramatic actress. I'm telling you, it's perfect. Poor Man's Bradley Cooper was awesome in Sweet Home Alabama. Which we, it's the second week on the pod. We have now referenced him as the Poor Man's Bradley Cooper twice. Well, we... we we went back and forth because we couldn't figure out. It, we were we were in a Slack message and we we're trying to figure out: is Josh Lucas the poor man's Bradley Cooper, or was Bradley Cooper the poor man's Josh Lucas who didn't just surpass Josh? He Lucas? was also in Life as We Know It, which is also a great movie. I mean, a very good movie, maybe not great, but he's also kind of the guy that gets left behind in that one. And I like him. I think he's very like Sweet Home Alabama came on Friday night. My mom and I watched it. It is a classic and. Honestly, Patrick Dempsey handles being dumped at the altar better than anyone oh, should. He's a good dude. And he, he realizes this is how it needs to happen. Candace Bergen is perfect in this movie. And I, I, another thing we had in our Slack conversation, there's a former Murphy Brown cast members in rom-coms. Got to love that because you've got that, Candace Bergen as the mother-in-law, the jilted mother-in-law, and Charles Kimbrough in The Wedding Planner. Kind of underrated J-Lo Oh, rom-com, yeah, that was... Where he keeps calling her Wedding Woman. So Great movie. I, listen, but Sweet Home Alabama, that's the one that just gets me right here every single time. Melanie Smooter, I'm glad you found the one you, you, you belonged with. That's, that's what really matters. It's the right place to end the pod, Melanie Smooter. Yeah, yeah Nicole, you're wrong about when Harry met Sally... It's creepy that he ends up with him, but I'm glad that Melanie Smooter ended up with poor man's Bradley Cooper. 